Our scripture lesson today is from the good news, the gospel according to Mark chapter 10. Uh, We're going to start with verses 35 and 36 together, um, and when we will move forward. Uh, Just know that uh, you may have heard of James and John in the Bible, and uh, if you think that maybe you're not following Jesus perfectly, uh, let's just say you're in good company uh, with these two. So let's begin with this word together. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Hashtag blessed. Now, the world will tell you that blessed is power. The world will tell you that blessed is to have your own private jet. The world will tell you that blessed is to have a pretty girlfriend. Uh, Blessed, hashtag blessed. And you see this all over our culture. The world says blessed are the rich and famous. But everybody knows that. That's not news. Everybody knows that. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. What? For they shall be comforted. So if you're here this Mother's Day and you're mourning, know that you too are blessed. You're not cut out of that blessing. Because of Jesus, you too can be blessed. Blessed are the mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall be seen mercy, Jesus says, in the greatest sermon ever told by the smartest man who ever lived in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And we're going to continue to look at what does it mean to be blessed, really blessed. Not, not just the things that everybody knows, but what are those things that you can know that maybe the world does not and cannot know without Jesus. Actually, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Wouldn't that be awesome if your heart was in such a state that it was in its purity that everywhere you looked, you saw God. And every every flower, every tree, every person, the image of God would leap forward to you. And you you would dwell in the presence of the angels. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're about to look at a story where Somebody who no one thought could see God does, and the people who were supposed to see God, they don't. So we're going to take a look at that in just a second. So as a way to um, just catch us up, uh, if you would like to follow along with this sermon series, we're doing bless. Uh, Begin with prayer is the B. Uh, Listen uh, was the second week. Uh, Last week was eat, uh, something I know much about. And then this week is serve. Everybody say serve with me. Serve. Did you know that you're blessed when you serve? You see, we're blessed to be a blessing. And isn't it interesting, those of you who have been on mission trips or been in service, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes you wake up and, and you go, oh, man, I don't really want to go do this. You're doing cleanup or you're working this and maybe you don't feel like it. But you're not even halfway through the deal and your day is completely turned around. You're feeling great. You're, you're having a good time with other people. Uh, one of the greatest times of service uh, around here is Bible school. Bible school is chaotic. 
We have well over 100 um, children and well over 100 adults. I think last year we had over 200-something kids and uh, about 400 people on campus at any one time. And it is the most chaotic, bizarre, keep-the-kids-out-of-the-pond-in-the-parking-lot week of my life. And it's also the most fun. We have a great time. We hang out, um, talking to people as we're doing recreation or we're doing crafts or we're getting the snacks ready uh, or we're trying to find the three-year-olds. Not, I'm kidding. We know where they are, kind of. We, you know, they're in the general vicinity in, in this area, right? Christy's nodding her head. She, she's led us in this. She knows this, right? And, and so we serve together. And, and in the serving, we begin to share our story. And we get to know one another. It's, it's such a great time. I hope that you'll be with us. And it's in this uh, beginning with prayer and this listening and eating and serving together and sharing our stories that we're blessed, really blessed. So Jesus asked this question to James and John. I don't know if you've ever had this with your kids. Uh, it, this used to happen when, when my kids were smaller. They don't really do this to me anymore. Um, but maybe you've had this question. It's adorable and terrifying at the same time to watch this happen in your child. They walk into you. Maybe you're reading the paper or watching a show or uh, just kind of relaxing, having a great day. And your child walks up to you and says, Dad, I want you to say yes to whatever I'm about to ask you. Have you had that happen to you? You know, often when they're four or five, it's so cute. And you're like, wow, what has happened to this child? I mean, they're working it. Because you know whatever's happening, they really want it. They really want it badly. And so they say, whatever, you have to say yes. I'm like, no, 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 we don't do that. You know, we don't do that. And, and that's what James and John do. They say to Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. It, it shows you both how James and John are completely off page, people who are in his inner circle and should know, and how compassionate Jesus is. He doesn't yet even correct them. He just asks them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if Jesus... We're standing here, and he looked at you. Let's pretend for a moment. Um, I'm not saying that I'm Jesus. Let's say Jesus is standing next to me. And Jesus over here says to you, what do you want me to do for you? What's your answer? I, can, I would remind you, Jesus can do what? Anything. Everything. So if you don't do anything else today, that's something worth thinking about. If Jesus were to say to you, because he is, by the way, Jesus is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? And Jesus can bring that to pass. That's an important question. Most of us ask too small, not often enough. But we also want to make sure that we ask rightly, because James will tell us later uh, in the book of James, he'll say, we have not because we ask not, or we ask wrongly about our own selfish desires. We're not asking about kingdom things we're not asking about things like peace and justice and health and life and love and mercy what would you say i invite you to fill that in what would you say to jesus when he says to you today what do you want me to do for you so let's let's put this in context jesus is walking with the disciples where where's he headed to jerusalem that's what and so jesus has been working up here around the sea of galilee at Nazareth, this tiny little town here, and he basically gathers his disciples together and he says, hey, let's take our trip down to where? Say it with me. Jerusalem, right? And so Jerusalem is all the way down here. That's where they're headed. Now, that's not a quick journey. It's a perilous journey. Um, and particularly, you better know where you're going to stop for water, otherwise you're going to die. It's no small thing to travel to Jerusalem from Nazareth by foot in Israel. 
And that's what they're about to do. And so they're on their way. And Jesus uh, tells them this in Mark 10. It says, He took the twelve uh, aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him. He's foretelling his death, isn't he? He says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's the name that Jesus uses for himself, will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him. And a Gentile is just somebody who's not a Jew. They're going to mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples as they walk to Jerusalem. Well, that's a way to sell a trip, right? They're walking that way. And he says, and after three days, he will rise again. So what is Jesus doing? He's describing his own death. That's your blank there. He's describing his death. He's saying to those who've been following him for three years, we're walking this way and this is what's about to happen. I'm telling you, this is going to go down. And what do James and John do? How do they respond? This is what Jesus is saying. This is the last day before he heads into uh, Palm Sunday and the Passion. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Are you kidding me? So grandma gathers the family around and says, in about three days, I'm going to die. And those closest to her say, speaking of which, grandma, what's in the will for me? That's what James and John are doing. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus on the, right when he says, I'm about to be killed. I'm about to be spit on. I'm about to be handed over and three days rise again. And they say, oh. When you, when you go to your glory, we, we want you to do this. And so how does Jesus respond to them in this incredibly inappropriate moment? Jesus says to them, what is it that you want me to do for you? It's a good question, isn't it? It's our question. What is it you want me to do for you? You see, the problem is what James and John said. They say to Jesus, grant us sit one to your right and one at your left in your glory after you die. Wow. Right? Uh, Grandma, I want the house, uh, and I want the bank account on your right and your left. I want a position of honor, and I want you to guarantee me that I'm going to be at the adult table at Thanksgiving from now on. Right? That I get your seat, not my sister. Right? I, I want the grandma's seat at the table. And she can have the china, but I get the clock. Right? They're, I mean, they are divvying it up. Now, now, notice that Jesus is not overly upset with them. He understands, and at least they know he's the Messiah. At least they know. I mean, they believe in him. But, but basically what they're saying is, in the will, what do we get? Their timing was way off. You, do you see how horrible the story is? Hey, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Oh, really? And, and what happens then? Will you put me at your right and your left? And what does Jesus say back to them? What does Jesus say back to them? <coughs> if we do, what will we get? You see, if James and John were here today, they, may like, they, they might look something like this. Let's take a look. Three words for you. Treat yourself. Treat yourself 2011. Once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. What do we treat ourselves to? Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year. That's James and John. Treat yourself. I'm about to go to heaven. I'm going to have my glory. And they're like, oh, really? And what are we going to get? Treat yourself. They were not worried about others. They were not worried about the other ten. They were worried about themselves. That's what they wanted to do. Treat 
yourself. I think they might look a lot like Ton and Dom, Donna. Uh, for those of you who know Parks and Rec, you get that reference. If you don't, never mind. Um, but that, that's, just, that's just how they are. And so Jesus had a nickname for these knuckleheads. He called James and John the sons of thunder because they were all noise. They were all noise. Sons of thunder. That's what he called them. They were so off page that in Luke 9, they're going through Samaria and, and, and they come along and, and the Samaritans don't greet Jesus. And they're like, what? You didn't greet Jesus. Shall we rain down fire from heaven and consume them for you, Lord? Shall we wipe out this entire people group for you, Jesus? And, and Jesus is like, no, that, that's not what I'm about. That's not who I am. And, and yet, isn't it interesting that still in this day, we have religious groups, even people who would call themselves Christians, that are ready to wipe out anybody that doesn't do what they think is right. And we need to pay attention to this. Jesus says, no, we don't want to be known as sons of thunder in that way. But yet, these are the people that Jesus had closest to him. And if you're struggling from time to time about following Jesus and not getting it exactly right, well, you're in good company. And Jesus is okay with that. He just invites us to take another step with him. So the temptations of James and John are the same temptations for you and me. These are young men, probably about 28, 29. You know, we see Jesus is going to be about 32, 33 here. And so these are young men full of ambition, arrogance, and impatience. Now, I know there's none of that in Edmund. But apparently it was in Jesus' day. They wanted... They had not moved up in their company quite fast enough. They had not been guaranteed the corner office quite yet because it had only been three years. But they were ready to move up. They were ready to be in charge. And they were impatient with the process. They wanted Jesus to guarantee them their future now. Isn't that where we all live from time to time? You work hard. You do what's right. You sacrificed. And now you want the payout. And you tell them so. And what does Jesus say back to them? Guys, it's not mine to give. You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're doing. I love the way Socrates puts it. He says, our prayers should be for blessings in general, for God knows best what is good for us. Isn't that true? Will you read that with me? Our prayers should be for blessings in general, for God knows best what is good for us. Now, you may have grown up in a tradition like I did uh, where people say, no, your prayers need to be specific so you know when they're answered. And, and there's some truth to that. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to knock that. However, those prayers should always end with thy will be done. Not mine. Thy will be done because God knows best what's good for us. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Oh, yeah, that's a harder one, right? God knows best. We believe it, but our belief has to flip into action to where we trust him with outcomes. One of the ancient desert fathers instructs us to pray like this. He says, your prayers will get much better if every time when you conclude your prayer, you are sure that you will be dead. Now, how would that change your life? If every time you prayed, you knew by the time you opened up your eyes from that prayer that you would be standing in front of Jesus face to face. Well, it would change our prayers a lot, wouldn't it? Lord, fix my car. Well, not if you're in heaven. That doesn't matter anymore, does it? It changes everything. The way we pray. Thy will be done. God knows what's best for us, what's good for us. So Jesus calls, the disciples calls us 
to correction. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He, he writes it like this. It says, when the other ten heard of this conversation. So now you're kind of, you know, you pan out on the, on the scene. And there's James and John and Jesus. And they're completely off page. And Jesus is being gracious. But the other ten aren't. I mean, they are hot. They're like, are you kidding me? Peter is like, no. This is not happening, boys. Sons of thunder. Are you kidding me? When the other ten heard this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. Jesus got them together to settle things down because the entire project was at stake. You understand this? That if Jesus dies and the disciples don't hang together, they all hang separately. Jesus knows this. He's like, no, 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 no. Okay, here, here we go. Come, come huddle up. This is a mess. He says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, Jesus says. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you, Right? None of us would let power go to our heads. This is not so with you, is how the NRSV puts it. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become what? A servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your what? Your slave. Right now, what Jesus is doing, he says, the kingdom of the world act like this. The kingdom of God is like that. He's putting them right against each other. So in the kingdom of the world, the question is this, particularly in Jesus' day, how many servants? Right? And, and, and even in the South, only, you know, 100 years ago, how many slaves? How many servants? You measure people up by the number of servants they have, right? In business, maybe how many employees you have. Uh, in churches often, what's your worship attendance? How many buildings do you have? How many programs? Everybody gets in this game. It's a mess. And Jesus says, that's not my kingdom at all, friends. So when you, when you fall into that trap, just know it's a trap. That's the kingdom of the world. He says, no, no, no. It's not how many servants. It's how many have you served. Right? Jesus, I mean, McDonald stole it from him. How many served? Billions and billions and billions served. Right? In Jesus' name. That's how it should be. Not how many servants, but how many served. You see, what Jesus says is that the kingdom of the world says greatness is power. And Jesus says in the kingdom of God, greatness is what? Service. That's what blessing's about. Greatness is service in God's kingdom. That's what greatness is. So he says, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Jesus says he came to what? To serve, not to be served. And again, kingdom of the world, kingdom of Jesus. Back and forth, back and forth. Everybody knows this. Like, you want to be served. You want the head place at the table. You want to be in charge. And Jesus says, not, that's not how it works in my kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. Is who have you served? For King Jesus, the standard is service. For the kings of the world, the standard is power. So in the kingdom of the world, the standard is what? Power. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, the standard is what? Service. Now... Now we have some choices to make. Because if we say that we follow Jesus and his standard is service, then we are to what? Serve. Serve. And there is no exemptions for this, friends. There are no exemptions. If you follow Jesus, you are called to serve. Since it's Mother's Day, you are called to serve the women in your home. Right? So what would it be like? Men... If we go home this afternoon and we say to the women in our life, hey, what would you like for me to do for you? 
And then, then they, when they stand up again, you know, he said, I got that from Jesus. He said it at church today, right? That's Jesus' question. What would you like for me to do for you? That's Jesus' question. How can I help? That's the standard. For King Jesus, the standard is, say it with me, service. Service for each of us. So then Jesus doesn't just talk about it. All of you all know show and tell? I'm very familiar with show and tell because my wife's name is Chantel. And so every time they say, you know, this is my wife Chantel, little kids go, show and tell. I said, no, that's Chantel. They're like, show and tell? Chantel. Jesus, for Jesus, it's tell and show. He doesn't do show and tell. He does tell and show. So he says what he wants to have happen, and then he lives it out. He lives it out. So um, he says this. This is what the Son of Man, again, the name he uses for himself, has done. He came to what? Serve and not to be served. So um, let's go to the map if we can. All right? So we're back to the map. So you'll notice that they've been having this really not fun family discussion all the way to here. They get to Jericho. They're just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Now, I would remind you um, that this little road is not a good road. This is not where you want to hang out. It is the place that you want to move through as fast as you can. This is not the good part of town. This is the bad part of town. We know these stories from the Bible about the Jericho Road uh, where the boy gets beat up, right? And the Good Samaritan, that's where this comes from, about this little stretch of highway. Uh, although it's not a highway, it's, it's along a riverbank, and it's very dangerous. And so let's see what um, the story says here. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar. What is he? He's a blind beggar. Now, are rabbis supposed to have anything to do with people who are blind? No. Nope. Are they supposed to do anything with the beggars? No. Are they supposed to hang out at Jericho? So this blind beggar, who Jesus is supposed to have nothing to do with, is sitting by the roadside. And I would submit to you that at least half the people on his team thought it was a setup. You know, it's one of those bump and runs where somebody hits you so they can steal your car. That's what they think is about to happen with Bartimaeus. Because this blind beggar on a dangerous road, they're like, you know, let's get on through here, Jesus. You need to keep moving. So when Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus Nazareth, he begins to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and he said, call him here. Call him here. And you can kind of see the eye roll along all the disciples. Like, oh, great, here we go again. You know, here's Jesus. And, and so this is a photo I took two years ago along the Jericho Road. There's a monastery up to the left. Uh, but this is just outside Jericho. And if, if you zoom in, you, you can see um, from these, there's no way to tell what's around the next corner. So imagine the last thing you want to do if you're in a military operation is hang out on that road. Right? You want to move it through. You need to keep on going. Because the moment you stop, you are dead meat. You, you are just waiting to get ambushed. And everybody knew that. And so this is where Jesus stops the whole show. And he, and he reaches down to Bartimaeus. And, and, and what does Jesus say to Bartimaeus? Oh, I think you know the answer. He says, say it with me. What do you want me to do for you? Right? Right? So um, the scripture here says that he comes up and he gets to him, and then Jesus says this. Right? Jake, if you can move on through that for me. Yep. What do you want me to do for you, he says. Okay? Now, why is this important, and why um, do we say you there? Because that's Jesus' question. What do you want? 
Notice that Jesus doesn't have a formula. He doesn't have a model. He doesn't have a prescription for all people that says, um, this is what I'm doing for you. Take it or reject it. That's not what he does. He comes to each person and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And notice that the blind man says to him, my teacher, my teacher, let me see again. He was blind and he's about to see. And then Jesus does this. He says, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Now, if you're paying attention, the blind man that Jesus is supposed to have nothing to do with sees and he gets it. James and John, who are supposed to know it all, don't. That's the kingdom of God flip that's going on here in the gospel of Mark. James and John, who are supposed to know, these are the closest people to him. They're in the inner circle, the inner three. They're supposed to know, and they are blind as a bat, and they don't even know it. And yet there's this blind beggar who claims Jesus as the Messiah in his fullness at some risk to himself, and Jesus heals him, and he sees. He sees clearly. He sees it exactly the way it is. Because Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he simply wants to see the other two want the praise and the glory. To which Jesus says, that's not mine to give you anyway. So what do, we, what do we learn from this? Well, Jesus listens, and his response is both personal and powerful. Notice that Jesus didn't go up from the Mount of Transfiguration and say, and I heal all people who might have something come up in the next six months. Which, if I'm Jesus, that's a really good, efficient way to do it. That's not what he does. He calls him forward. He's in close proximity. And in his own person, and the power of Almighty God, the man can see. So here's a question for you. Are you ready to see? Are you ready to see what Jesus has for you? Ask him. When Jesus says to you today, what do you want me to do for you? Say, let me see. Let me see your kingdom. Let me see what you want me to see. Let me see the world as you know it. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, blessed people gather and share and grow and invest and build, create, support, and enrich one another's lives in every aspect. That's what it is to be blessed. And so as the people of God, we are to be people of blessing. We are to gather. We are to share with one another. We are to grow and invest and build, create, support, and enrich one another's lives in every respect. We are the people who are to say not only to one another but to the world, what would you like for me to do for you? What would you like for me to do for you? Now, you might say, well, what if that person takes advantage of me? That's a different sermon on boundaries. And we don't have time to do that today. And, and that's important, right? And there's always that guy. But it doesn't mean that you don't help them the first time. But if you help them two or three times and you, can, and you can see that that's not helping them, it's enabling them, then that's a different tact. I mean, Jesus also says the guy at the pool of Siloam, um, how long you've been laying there? He says 38 years. He says, why don't you pick up your mat and go home? And he does. So, so there's that piece. I'm not unaware of that. But notice that doesn't keep Jesus from asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? It's a good question. So our action steps are like this. We want to pray and then listen and then serve in person, just like Jesus did, and in Jesus' power. Make no mistake, friends, I'm not asking you to do something you can't do. I'm asking you to do something that only Jesus can do through you. See the difference? We're never supposed to serve in our own power anyway. It's in Jesus' power. It's in our person, but in Jesus' power. That's what we do. 
And if you say, well, this is too big for me, well, good, it should be. It should be too big for all of us because we're going to serve in Jesus' power. Jesus would call on the name of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and then things would happen. People would see and be healed. And it's not always easy. Sometimes you find yourself in a mess on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. You know, the, these things, when we're called to service, don't fit on our calendars very well. They, they just kind of pop up sometimes. And I, I learned this in a, in a difficult way this week. Uh, some of you know that in our family, uh, we had a death in our family last week. Uh, so my old family, we flew out to Alabama after the loss of my uncle. Uh, we flew back to, to be in to preach. Um, and um, I was just super tired because we'd just been working, working, getting ready to be out of town, then being out of town at funerals and all the things that go with that, flying back, getting here. It was a full day uh, from early to the town halls late at night. And so I went to see uh, my psychiatrist uh, that I see every other Monday uh, to talk about you people. And, um, and, and I, I'm serious. That's exactly what I do. And so uh, I love you, but there's a lot of you as a family. And so I'm, I talked to him, and I said, yeah, I'm like, Dr. Hopper, I'm like, I'm not sure. I take one more thing. And, and I'm coming home, and, uh, and I get this call from Noah. Dad, I've been in a wreck. I'm in an accident. And I'm like, well, there's that one more thing. I guess I'm going to die now. And, um, and so, but fortunately, we were close. We were only like maybe 90 seconds away from him. We were just down the street. Chantel and I were together, which is a great blessing. So we just pulled right up. And um, now this is, this, is, this is personal for me. And, and I want you to know, pay attention. If you live in Homestead uh, or Trail South or any neighborhoods that, that go like this and you've got four lanes between you, pay attention. Because here's the thing. And I see this all the time. All the time. So, th- th- so this is part Jesus, and this is part, hey, road safety. All right? And so we go over this all the time at our house. Uh, Homestead's here. Trail South is here. There are four lanes. You know he's coming home from school, and he pulls up. There's a guy who is supposed to come in behind him, but he refuses. And so he turns. And he's safe. The guy pulls up. Noah, there's six cars now behind this guy. And he won't move. And no one needs to turn left. And he looks, but he's in a tiny focus. And he, he can't really see, but he's got to get into the, he's got to go home. Because that's what he's supposed to do. So the second guy goes, go, you're clear. Go, you're clear. So he does as fast as he can. Well, you'll notice he was not clear. Now, it may very well be that the, lane, the other lane that's 40 to 45 miles an hour through there was clear at the time. But nobody knows if the last car in, the, in that first lane is going to pull out and gun it, which is what they do, which is what you people do when you're in a hurry, right? And so she hits my son at 45 miles an hour. His bumper goes flying uh, about 20, 30 yards away. Um, and fortunately, he's not hurt other than, you know, some really bad seatbelt. Rash, and I asked him if I could do this. He said yes, but y'all don't talk to him about it because he's tired of talking about it. Just saying. So the thing, and it spun him all the way around more than a 180, and, and that's the end of, of he and John Mark's car that they've driven all the high school. That's the end of that. It's done. And so I'm like, wow. Wow. And so we're kind of working through that uh, Monday night. And then Tuesday, I'm, I'm driving back by our neighborhood, um, and... And I see another accident in the exact same location with two other cars. And I'm like, oh, that tears it. Like, I'm going I'm to get names, and I'm going to be sitting at the city council, and I mean, something's got to change. I mean, 
the people down there get a stop sign. We got to have a stop sign. This is nuts. Because how many of these are going to happen? It was less than 19 hours away. So I pull up and I'm, I'm on fire. And so I'll show you the, show the video. I'm coming up. There it is. Homestead and Danforth right there. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, oh. It's the exact same thing happens. That BMW is gone. It was a beautiful vehicle, right? And the exact same thing. You can see. And people don't even slow it down. Like, you know. And, and so, this, so, so I come up there. And, I, and I'm, I'm not thinking that I'm a pastor. I'm just thinking this guy stopped. And you know what? Officer Rigsby of our church is, is working the accident. And the exact same officer from the day before. Exact same thing. And so I say to Jason, everybody okay? He says, yeah. I said, is there anybody I should pray for? He says, yeah. He points over to this family over there. And exact same thing had happened. This poor lady pulls up, trying to come into Homestead. They're waving her through. Now, here's the thing. Do you know it's illegal to wave people through? Don't do it. Had they stayed, they would have gotten the ticket. Do you think either person that waved them through stayed? Oh, no. As soon as they hear the boom, they're like, bye-bye, see ya. Thought it was clear, right? And the person turning left, their, their car gets totaled. The other car is often totaled. Um, and there's a lot of damage that happens. So if you're driving, never wave someone through. Ever. I mean it. Never. And if someone says, go ahead, say, no, I'm not a dummy. I will not. I refuse. And if they keep waving at you or honking you or giving you signs that you need to move, just go on down. Go a block around or a mile around and turn right. Seriously. It might save your life. And if you know anybody that can fix that intersection, call them or tell me. We've got to fix it. It's horrible. It's horrible. Now, here's what happens next. Because now I'm thinking, oh, great. Jason knows I'm a pastor. I'm his pastor. Now i got to be pastor man. And I still have my workout clothes. I'm in shorts and t-shirt. I'm like, dang. So now i got to pray for people. So, so I go, and, and the thing about these wrecks is that when, when your car gets totaled like that, they got to get them out of the way. I mean, just for safety. And, and the, so the towing bill's really high, and you just got to get them out of there. So you only have a short little window before you have to have everything out of your car that you might need or want and have your name on it. And so this mom and this 19-year-old girl, this was her first wreck. It had been Noah's first wreck. And it's really traumatic when that happens because you think you're invincible at 18, 19 until someone hits you at 45 miles an hour. And then you realize you're not. So they're in there, and I'm standing there, and I'm praying for them. I'm thinking about them, you know, kind of watching. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, you might want to get your garage door opener. Like, oh, thanks. How would you think of that? I'm like, well, it happened to me like 18 hours ago. And, uh, and I'll be, oh, you might want to get your phone charger and your checkbook and, the, and this. And they're like, oh, do I need my pack pass? No, those won't, they don't work like that. Okay, boom, boom, boom. And so I was actually able to be really, really helpful to this family from the pain that I'd been in just a few hours before. And then it's one of those things like, ah, I probably need to go on. And I'm like, no, you need to pray for these people. Now they know that you're, you know, Officer Rigsby's pastor. I'm like, okay. So I do. I say, I just, I'm like, okay, they don't know me. I met them like five minutes ago. They've had this horrible wreck. I'm like, would you like for me to pray for you? And they're like, yes, we would love that. That would be great. I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, all right. So I like awkwardly try to like hold hands or something. They don't know what to do with that. So I just like lightly tap the girl I just met like, Jesus loves you. And, and so we prayed. We prayed. And I, I, I thank God 
for her protection that she was safe? Because it could have been much, much worse. I thank God that her mom was able to be there so quickly. We ask God to heal her and to be with the other family that was involved and to help them have a better day and to, to bless them and to, and to really thank God for watching out for her. And I'm like, well, that's all I got. I don't know what else to pray. So I'm like, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, how's that? This girl, tears running down her face. She throws her arms around me. She's like, oh, thank you, Pastor Mark. I'm like, I met you five minutes ago. And her mom was just so moved. And, um, you know, but, but it all starts with this question, doesn't it? What do you want me to do for you? In your person and in Jesus' power, not yours. Because when I was just doing my stuff, that wasn't a big deal. But when I invoked the name of Jesus and asked him to be present in that situation, he was for that family in a way that had not been before. And it was very helpful to them. And I would just ask you that whatever pain point you have in your life, that's your place of service, more than likely. But invite Jesus into that. Will you ask this question with me? Say it with me. What do you want me to do for you? In Jesus' name. Amen.